and you invite the ancestors of the fungal elders. They all know, they all hear the call and everyone comes and it's a joyous celebration. And this is what the mushrooms were talking about when they said, come home. Hey friends, welcome to the Medicine Stories podcast, where we are remembering what it is to be human upon the earth. I am Amber Magnolia Hill. This is episode 83. Today I'm talking to Amanita Dreamer about everyone's favorite mushroom. I'm so excited, so excited to finally be talking about fungi in a real way on this podcast. I can't believe it's taken 83 episodes when it's been a deep interest of mine for a long time now. So Amanita muscaria is not a psilocybin-based magic mushroom. It's a different sort of experience. So I want to make that clear from the beginning. Also want to say that we are not giving any medical advice here. Anything that you hear her say during this interview that you're interested in, she's probably got a video or two about it on her website, amanitadreamer.net. We we couldn't go into everything during this conversation. So she's got hours and hours of good content there. I really recommend watching the videos. I also recommend the book Fly Agaric Compendium, as does she. I'll have a link in the show notes. There's just so much to say and so much like basic shit to say about this fungus in particular that we don't have time to get into in this interview. So if you are called to it, if you love it in the way that so many millions of people do, read that book, check out her website, get some of like the basics down. We did try to cover some really important things here, but there's just so much more such as we didn't talk about this, but I do want to to say it here. Although we touch on the fact that you are not going to die from taking this mushroom Another Amanitas you can, but not the Muscaria. There is toxicity present and there are ways to work with that, which we talk about, which she has many videos on by decarbing or converting the ibotenic acid into muscomol. But as with anything, the dose is the medicine or the dose is the poison. The aspirin that's in your medicine cabinet right now is medicine in the right dose and is poison in a larger dose. It's the exact same thing with Amanita muscaria. So let's drop some of the fear, the fear-mongering, and the myths around this incredibly medicinal and healing and legal, unlike psilocybin, fungus that has so much potential at this juncture in human history to, <laughs> to help in so many ways. It's just amazing what fungus can do when we come to right relationship with it for human health, for ecological health, for, for so much more. We have talked about mushrooms before on episode 13 with my friend Jim Fadiman, psychedelic healing from microdosing to transcendence. And in episode six with Amy Maya Woodruff, naming your lineage and deeply releasing fear, we talk about her experiences with Amanita and the time-space collapse. So we have touched on it before, but really stoked to have a full episode all about this now. And of course, there is deep time, ancient historical human use of Amanita in 
in numerous cultures. And though we didn't touch on that here, Amanita Dreamer is focused both on science and on lore. There's so much wisdom and depth coming from both of those places. But as she pointed out to me after we had stopped recording, indigenous and traditional use of Amanita doesn't always translate into people who are not from those cultures having a good experience. Put another way, they tend to take very large doses and have not decarbed or translated the epitenic acid into muscimol. And that works within their cultural settings and what they understand of the mushroom beans and of one another and of their shamanic rites. But it's not always great for those of us living outside of those cultures. So though she's well aware of their preparation and dosage methods, she recommends something different. And through her own self-experimentation over the years has come up with the best ways that she has found to prepare and dose these medicines. And it's different all the time and different for everyone. Okay, we'll get into the conversation now. You can go deeper into her videos at amanitadreamer.net. If you are also feeling called to work with this beautiful, incredible mushroom bean, um, as I tell her in this conversation, I, I met Amanita Muscaria for the first time recently, and it's just it's already changed my life. And I've heard the same thing from so many people. Like the minute you come across this mushroom, everything changes. So again, I'm just going to say it again. We did not touch on every single aspect or everything that you could possibly say about such a medicine full of so much potential. So please dive deeper on your own. And thank you so much for being here. I am thrilled to talk with you today about the most culturally significant iconic, beautiful, magical mushroom out there, Amanita Muscaria. Let's listen now to this conversation with Amanita Dreamer. All right. Welcome, Amanita Dreamer. Really, really stoked to talk about these amazing fungi with you. Thanks for having me. Yeah. I think this is the the shortest turnaround time for me from finding someone and inviting them on my show and then getting the show out there. Just wow. so immediately stoked on your work and on you as a person too. I, I want to say that from the beginning. You just you have such a good heart and pure way of sharing this information. And it's such important information. And even though I've been really into mushrooms for a long time and also really into like folklore and fairy tales. So of course, you know, Amanita mm. is covered there. I, I believed so many of the myths about this fungus until coming upon your work and I'm learning like how much untruths are out there. So, but can we begin with your story and how you found the Amanitas, because it, it's truly one of the most compelling stories that I've heard. So I spent my whole life having panic attacks and anxiety. And I grew up on that same construct of only a someone with a degree with the letters after their name is a healthcare professional. They're the only ones that know what's going on. They're the only ones that can help you doctor after doctor, therapist after therapist, and just pretty much being gaslighted and told 
I clearly don't want to get better. I clearly don't want to help myself. Stop thinking like that. Eat better, eat different, exercise. I did everything they told me to do and the the panic wasn't abating. But it was manageable with a lot of these different things, you know, with meditation and pressure point therapy and yoga and, you know, whatever. It's if it's out there, I did it. But only barely manageable. And so if any life situation happened to me, I would wind up non-functional because it would just go into overdrive and, and I was I couldn't function. And then the, you know, mother of all situations, Hurricane Katrina. And it, it left me devastated. I couldn't feed my children. I, I couldn't get anywhere. The FEMA was nowhere to be found, even though I paid into the system. My insurance company played games and gave me 25% of the damages. And I had never missed a payment in my life. I did everything right and still had to relocate with nothing and file bankruptcy and lost everything. And that's not supposed to happen if you do everything you're supposed to do. And when every system that was built for us failed me, I fell into this awful dark place. I had an existential crisis. If this isn't real, what's real? If my panic and anxiety is never going to be relieved, how can I function and raise, raise these children? And if I am dead, broke, and busted, and on the verge of homelessness, what the fuck am I supposed to do? And I got a good head on my shoulders. So there's got to be others out here suffering like me. And the only thing I need to do is just prostrate myself to the higher God of pharmaceuticals and say, help me. And they put me on benzodiazepines and gave me a a pharmacological lobotomy, basically. And then I just turned into someone who was no longer suffering, but was also non-functional. Can you tell me more about benzos and what they do? Well, what they do is they affect the GABA pathways and they basically start shutting you down. It's, it's a very crude, raw, grab you in your entire nervous system and just shut it down. It's crude. It works for what it's supposed to do. It's very powerful. And if anyone was a candidate for it, it was me because I was absolutely non-functional in the overdrive side of it. Just constant full-blown panic attack in the corner, shaking, not eating, non-functional. And that's no way to live. If ever it was indicated for someone, I was an emergent case. I couldn't keep suffering like that or feeling like that. I would have committed suicide in that state eventually. So I don't I don't fault them for putting me on it. I mean, I was a candidate for it, but there there's a middle there where you're supposed to live, where your nervous system has these nuances, where you're not only an energetic spiritual being that's supposed to be functioning energetically in multiple dimensions, but then also you're supposed to be a physical body putting energy out to your fellow living things around you and communicating that way. You're supposed to be esoteric. You're supposed to be empathetic and precognitive. You're supposed to exist in all of these ways. You're supposed to be able to feel your body and its and its knowledge and its wisdom to speak to you about what foods to eat, what medicines to take when you need help, how to ask for help. There's so many nuances in our bodies that's that's written into our nervous system. And when all of that is screaming on a tin, you can't hear it. And when you take something that just shuts it down, you're dead. You're not a living thing in any of those ways. 
And that's what that drug did. And, and all I could do was lay in the bed and cry. But at least I wasn't having panic attacks and I could sort of get used to it and teach myself to get up and cook, get up and get some laundry done and eventually get up and get my children the help that they need, the friends that they need, the, the extracurricular activities they need and be a decent mom and show up. I trained my, my nervous system to override those drugs to function barely in society with an incredible amount of, of work. But then, you know, it started giving me dementia. Little by little, I couldn't remember something. I would make mistakes, show up at the wrong play dates, show up at the wrong time, show up at the wrong appointments. My children were starting to suffer from it. And they started joking, you know, that mom can't remember anything. It's, I started to be the butt of jokes. They didn't know they were hurting me. They were being children. But eventually I was the person you didn't trust to tell anything because they would never remember anyway. Like that became the common thing you said after you said something to me. Not that you're going to remember I told you this. Like, and, and, it, and it hurt because I knew they were right. I couldn't remember recipes. I could, and when I went to the grocery store, I had to have a list of the meals, a list of the items in the meals, write down the days that I was going to prepare them, why I bought this particular butter, what was I going to do with it, stick that list on the wall, have calendars in every room in the house. And this got oppressive to the point where I was putting signs all over my house. And I looked at my house one day and I'm like, holy shit. I look like a, an 85-year-old Alzheimer's patient's house. Mm -hmm. This is not good. And shortly after that, the studies came out that it caused early onset dementia. I said, that's it. I, I, I'm too young to go down like this. I was a burden to my children in their formative years where they were trying to get out into the world not take care of a convalescent parent. I wanted to be a good mom. I wanted to give them a life that, that was worth living and remembering and good memories, not be the thing that, that kept them down in the years where they were supposed to be exploding out into the world with all that energy and power. And I, so I started getting off of it. And that was just the beginning of the hell. And then I went through five years of withdrawals and that that I could talk about that could have its own website, its own support group, mm -hmm. its own YouTube channel, everything, everything I do today for the mushroom, I could do equally just in the trying to get off. And I believe that's going to be our next, you know, we had the tobacco industries collapse and all of that. Now we're in the opioid crisis. I believe the benzo crisis is coming. Mm -hmm. So when did this mushroom show up for you? When I realized I really never was going to be able to get off of the benzodiazepines. So let me be clear. I'm an extremely strong person through sheer force of will after years of abuse and gaslighting and pain and fibromyalgia, and then learning to live through a drug that was shutting my nervous system down. And then five more years of the worst hell that I have ever been through of pain of trying to get off a drug, the nighttime hell, like you take a bad trip on any entheogen. And that is a wonderful, beautiful walk on the park in a spring day mm -hmm. compared to the hell that your brain can do to you through withdrawals of a drug that had shut you down. And then the absence of it, the hell that can plague you in the middle of the night that you can't, it's never going to end. It's not a bad trip. It's your reality and it's never going to stop unless you get back on the drug that's already killing you. And then there's the physical pain. But the physical pain is a pain that I can't even describe. I mean, just screaming, 
knowing my children are hearing me scream and mothers know to suppress their pain so their children don't have to see it. And I couldn't physically stop screaming Mm. from the pain I was in. And that's just like two levels of the pain. It, it, it is so multidimensional, the pain of coming off these drugs. And I still tolerate it down to an eighth of the dose I was on to the point where I couldn't do it anymore because I was non-functional and I was either going to commit suicide or get back on the drug and then try to find another plan. And I'd always go back on it and try to find another way. So I finally just said, well, I'm going to white knuckle it. And no matter how bad it gets, I'm going to get off of it and see what happens. So I just totally get off of it and see what happens. And when I was back down to that eight of my dose again, I realized that this is a hell I will never escape. And I'm damned if I do and damned if I don't. And this is not living because staying here will hurt everybody I love. And and I'm suffering. So how is it good for me to stay? It's just, it's pointless. It would be selfish for me to stay in the hopes that at some point they'll find a cure for this. I can live in the misery, but I can't live watching what I'm doing to my children every day. Mm-hmm. And that's when I just I said, that's it, I'm leaving. And I did a lot of research and I planned it and I made sure nobody would find my body that wasn't supposed to find it, that it has therapy and support for finding a body like that. And got my will, everything in order. I, I knew how I was going to do it, where I was going to do it so that nobody had to suffer any more than it's going to be necessary. And I knew when it was all over, they would remember how I was suffering and eventually be glad that I made it easier for everybody. That was my hope, at least. Mm-hmm. And when it was all said and done, I sat and waited for the right time. And I, I knew on a Wednesday that, that I was going to go on that Wednesday. And on a Tuesday, I was looking at the woods out behind my house. I was like, you know, I've never actually really been out there and looked at anything. I should go. Just say goodbye, you know, in peace to the land. <laughs> I'd like five minutes into it, and there's this bright red mushroom going, hey, bitch, what's up? <laughs> I was like, I don't know, bitch, who the fuck are you? So I picked it. And she said, here I am. This is who I am. Then what? Well, I got angry. Because the first thing that I learned about it was that it affects the GABA pathways. And how could I be trained in the sciences that I'm trained in, teach the classes that I taught in my former life about the body and, you know, all of the medicine that I knew, use and learn about all the natural substances that I had, be on an active search for help for panic and anxiety and not find it. And here it was. It's a real thing. It grows all over the world, free for the taking. How could I not? I was really angry that I didn't know about it. Mm-hmm. And I tried to figure out why would I not know about it? Why, why isn't someone out there just telling people, here it is. It's easy, you know, just come use it. And I realized it's because I'm sitting here terrified to use it because it could kill me in a really nasty, ugly way. But then I was reading other things that said, no, it's just really easy. If you can make mac and cheese, you can just prepare this and drink it as a tea. Like it's really stupid easy. And I didn't know what to believe, but luckily I was suicidal. So I didn't care. So I took my chances and it, I couldn't believe in one easy dose, my life changed. And I want to be careful what I say here, because this is not medical advice. 
And if you are on any of these drugs, they are dangerous to stop suddenly. This is my body, my life, the dosage that I was on, the dosage that I took. I got lucky. Somehow the blend of the two in the right way happened at the right time. And I didn't have to take those drugs anymore. And Amanita became my muse and my life. Saved my life. Gave me my power back. Gave me my brain back. What did you feel? What happened like the first, the first day, the first dose that you took? What was different? What, what stayed your hand from taking the action you were going to take on that Wednesday? So the day that I took it, I took too much because, I mean, I didn't know what a dose was. I didn't know what to take. And I knew I was just sort of winging it. And as, as far as I knew, I wouldn't feel anything or whatever. And I would just go to bed, whatever. But it turns out I took a trip dose. I didn't mean to. And it was a hell of a trip. But because it was a relief from suffering, I was so happy to have it. So anything that it did to me didn't scare me because I wasn't suffering. Mm-hmm. I was in this place of beauty and wonder and, oh, my God, that's cool. What the hell? What is that? OK, well, here we go. We're doing this now. So whatever it was that it was giving me and doing to me, and I have my trip report on my website, all of each stage of it, including being paralyzed, not being able to move. I was like, well, this is interesting because I wasn't suffering. I wasn't in pain. I wasn't being plagued by demons. My brain wasn't attacking me. I was watching something beautiful unfold. And in some cases it was ugly, but it wasn't nearly as ugly as what my brain had been doing to me before. And I felt like there was something purposeful in it instead of just useless suffering. Mm -hmm. I could feel something was there. A presence was there. Something very large was in that room with me and talking to me and showing me and speaking to me and whispering and yelling and singing. And I'm like, what the fuck? (laughs) Even though I couldn't move, I was, I was happy to not move because they were talking and I was listening. And it was interesting, the things they were saying. And I don't remember the words that they said, but I remember the ideas, which is what most of us do. You know, when we use an entheogen, we come back and we're like, I don't know how to tell you what they told me. I can tell you, this is what I know now. And the gist of what they said was, we are so, 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 so sorry we couldn't reach you. We tried. We really tried. But we're here now. And we want you to know there's a long history of what you've been through and our relationships to each other. Let us tell you where it all began. And then they started the history of the relationship between the Amanita Muscaria and the human beings. And they told me our whole history together. And then they said, today, there's been a divorce and we miss you and you need us now more than ever. And so we have come together. We talked about it with our council and our elders. And we have decided on this push to put all of our energy into reaching the humans Mm -hmm. and to find you again and to save you and to bring you home because this is where you belong. So we're starting by wherever we can and telling anybody who uses us the story of our, our story and asking you, would you like to come home? So we're inviting you to come home and we're here. What do you want to know? 
I mean, there's a reason, right? That this is like the mushroom. When people who aren't mushroom people think of a mushroom, they think of the Amanita. It's the iconography is everywhere. It, it lives in the collective conscious in a way no other mushroom does. And I'm sure I speak for so many when I say I've always felt so drawn and so pulled, but then there's this fear. There's all this fear out there. And I'm so grateful for the work that you are doing to dispel those fears. And let's start there. Am I going to just keel over and die if I take some Amanita? No, there's no deaths on record. And even there's a, a lot of articles written about this. I'm going to be interviewing a couple of people about it. It's it's rooted in mycophobia, but it's also rooted in the fact that the Amanita genus has over 800 species in it. And they range from the most deadly ones on the planet to the most harmless, to the most tasty culinary choice, prize, edibles, and everything in between. And in our reductive society, in our soundbite society, we just want to grab onto one little piece of information and then run with it. And so that's a problem because you say Amanita and you hear about the deadlies and you go, oh, well, then it's best you just leave it alone. Just leave them alone. If it says Amanita, leave it alone. And you're throwing out 800 different mushrooms when you do that, medicinal and culinary. Like the hell is ridiculous. But about 100 years ago, there was a really famous death that still is in contention today. And it just got repeated. It was the beginning of media and newspapers and spreading stories or whatever. And this count, you know, was a wealthy guy and he had this party and he trusted whomever went foraging. And now, you know, we're pretty sure we didn't have any way to test it. Pretty sure there was a deadly one in there, but there were also also muscarias in there and the guy died or whatever. And so they chalked it up to the muscaria because that was the one that was the most colorful that the person said they were going to forage. So they just assumed that they died of it. People get really nerdy about it and have taken those reports apart. They do it. They're interested in it. So I tell it correctly. I didn't tell it correctly. Whatever. I have all the paperwork on it. You can read about it and whatever. But there's something wrong with the fact that that's the one thing everyone keeps talking about 100 years later. What if it did kill the guy? And we have one death on record after millions and millions of people have been using it for the last hundred years. The only deaths that we know of for sure involved lots of alcohol, which makes sense. You don't take benzodiazepines in alcohol. You don't take opiates in alcohol. You don't take opiates and benzodiazepines in alcohol. You don't even take antibiotics in alcohol. There's a lot of shit you don't blend. And just because that's true in the pharmaceutical industry doesn't mean that's not also true in the natural community. Mm -hmm. There's just, you got to know your drugs and there's shit you don't mix. So the only deaths that we know of that are modern deaths are people that had a large amount of alcohol in their system and then took Amanita. Mm. Okay. I'm going to ask you first, while I'm thinking about it right now, why you use the name Amanita Dreamer? Like why Dreamer when any number of words could be second in that name? Because when the mushroom voice was pressing on me to make a video to tell people how to make this mushroom correctly. And I was fighting it. Mostly I was like, well, first of all, I don't want to be public. I'm just freshly coming out of being suicidal. I don't want to see anyone. I've been isolating for nine months. I haven't seen anybody. I don't talk to people. And I certainly don't want to reenter the world like that. 
And they said, that's fine. Do whatever you want. And then like once a week, they come back and be like, have you thought about making that video yet? And I'm like, really, y'all? And so eventually they started saying, you know, it really isn't fair that you found the answer to your suffering and you're not willing to let anybody else know about it. How about that? I'm like, y'all really suck. (laughs) You're really going to make me do this, aren't you? So we reached an agreement that I would make three videos. I would teach them how to prepare. I would teach them how to dry the ones that they had. And I would teach them that it's not deadly and that it's level of toxicity or whatever. Like those are the three things they mostly wanted to get out there and that I knew would help people that found it, that were suffering. I agreed to three videos. This was our negotiation. So I sat down to start the YouTube channel. And the very first thing I had to do was name the channel. And I stopped. I was like, y'all, what the fuck? What do I name it? They're like, well, Amanita Dreamer. I was like, okay. And I typed it in. And then I was like, holy shit, that's brilliant. (laughs) (laughs) They're like, yeah, we know. We've been thinking about it a long time. (laughs) <laughs> and then the more I thought about it, I'm like, because it's the, it works in your sleep. It works with dreaming or not dreaming mm-hmm. consciousness through all the levels of, of consciousness. And they had dreams of the past and we have dreams of the future and I have dreams. So I don't know. Every day I'm like, God, I see why they named it that. Mm. Yeah. Well, so I, I came upon, I met Amanita Muscaria in person for the first time last month. I didn't think it grew where I live in my ignorance. I had never seen it. I never heard anyone talk about it. We're mushroom hunters. We're in mushroom ID groups locally. And then it popped up on a friend's farm. And I was like, what? Like I'm coming over tomorrow, you know? And it's so just joyous. And all I could think of was like, I just want to dream with them. I want to dream with them. That's the overriding impulse here is to dream with them. I don't even really know what that means, but that's what I thought of. And then when I posted that photo, someone sent me to you. Oh, it's just so vast, right? Like we could we could go deep into the dreaming, we could go deep into the science, but I do want to touch on some of the science and with your background in science and as a teacher, I would like to understand more about GABA and like those neural pathways and how this mushroom is working on that level. And I would also like to touch on ibotenic acid and muscomol. So our fight or flight system is very important because it helps us know not just, oh my gosh, you know, there's a leopard, there's a lion, run for your life, whatever. Oh, you're being threatened, be able to save your child and fight and, you know, be superhuman or whatever. And that is part of it. But there's also just even the nuances of daily life of this person's energy is sketchy. I think that I should probably avoid them for a little while until they can sort of sort out what it is they're going through because I just don't feel emotionally capable right now. So from that smallest ability up to the largest abilities, our fight or flight system is always there to give us information and then help us carry that out. And that uses we well from what we know it's it's very crude what we know and that is the GABA pathways and the cholinergic pathway so you have the upside of it being able to flee or fight whatever and then you have the GABA pathways that are the turning everything down 
the ability to settle, the ability to calm, which I also feel like might be involved in the phone response or the ability to be calculated and the manipulative response to a threat. So and, like um, fight, flee, or fawn, is that when, like when you just right. kind of shut down? and Shut down, get meek. But I also believe that we are also ignoring another part of that system, and that is the ability to manipulate yourself through a sticky situation. What do you mean by women, that? Well, women historically in the last 2,000 years through oppression have had to learn to be manipulative to get their needs met. We've been in very violent and oppressive situations, and you have to learn how to manipulate to stay alive and to get your needs met. But humans manipulate each other. That's how we survive. It's part right. of, and it's not necessarily negative. Right. I mean, I children talking. come into the world to manipulate their yes. survival, right? And I believe that that's part of that. The fight and flight and fawn response is also the, the ability to manipulate your mm -hmm. way through. And you can't think clearly to manipulate if your fight or flight system is out of whack. Mm -hmm. And so chemically, the larger groups of chemicals that are going to affect that use the GABAergic, GABA amino butyric acid pathways, and then the cholinergic pathways. But it's much more complex than that. But just on the surface, Ibotenic acid is more of that upside attention, focus, gamma state side of things. And if you take too much of it, it can overstimulate the nerves until you're starting to get spasms, tremors, and then take too much and you can wind up having seizures. And then on the muscomol side of it, once I have two main active constituents in of aminated, right? And then ibotenic acid is what you have, you know, 95% of that mushroom is ibotenic acid fresh out of the ground. And then there are different things you can do to it that start to convert that ibotenic acid to muscomol before you even take it in. But once you ingest it orally, then more conversion starts to happen in the gut, but it also starts to happen in the actual nervous system, in the gaps between your neurons, in those synapses, conversion is taking place. So the metabolism of it isn't fully understood. The, the science is brand new on it. We're learning more every day about it. That's just the very basic information about that. That decarb is happening in the gut. And it's a very important part of ingesting it. And there are many ways to ingest it. So depending on how much of the IBO and the upside you want, you take in more ibotenic acid with less conversion. And then if you were like me, like very panicky, I needed more muscomol. So I did as much conversion as I could to get less ibo and more muscomol. And the wisdom is in the mushroom if you can get it about 50-50, you know, decarbed if you're not in any kind of severe state and you're open and you just want to microdose it and you just want to let it speak and let it be an adaptogen and work for you. I like that 50-50. But when you're going to start pushing upwards of high macro doses up into hero doses, then you don't want to take on that much iotinic acid. It can upset your stomach. It's the toxicity side of it. Dose dependent, you know, it's not fun sitting on the toilet while you're throwing up and getting severe cramps and then winding up with muscle spasms that are painful or worse, you know, in the ER, you know, having seizures or whatever. So it's one of those things that you should really use responsibly, start small, microdosing it, find your dose, learn to work with the mushroom, take it in other ways, transdermally through the skin, smoke it, have it around you. 
and microdose and, and play with it and get to know it as an entity and let it move you and speak to you so that you find the wisdom in working with it. It's not the kind of mushroom that's a one size fits all like psilocybin can be. We know there's a variability in the amount of psilocybin in a mushroom. And we know there's strains that are known for being stronger and weaker. That doesn't exist in Amanita. There's no statement you can make about it. You can ask me, is it stronger in America or Europe? You can't make that statement. That There's no nothing there about that. Is it stronger if it's bigger versus smaller? Nope. You can't make any statement about that. The only thing we do know is in general, the first ones to fruit tend to have more of the actives than the later ones to fruit. And that just makes sense chemically because they're depleting the nitrogen that they need to make these active ingredients as they fruit, right? Mm-hmm. Other than that, you can't make any kind of statements about it. They, they vary so greatly in their strength. So there's no one size fits all. I can take... I don't know, a teaspoon one day and it's a perfect microdose for me. And then it does nothing for me three months later. And I have to take three times that much to get the same effect. Is that my chemistry or was that that batch that I made? I don't know. I've made it before and got nothing from it through the batch out. I've made it before and a half a teaspoon and I was in a macro dose. Like, where is the sense in that? And the sense in that is this is the kind of mushroom that asks you to slow the fuck down and pay attention. Mm-hmm. That sounds like it's it's bringing you into presence and asking you to pay attention and be in relationship with it in a way that you're not so much when you're just like taking this dose of whatever tea or psilocybin or some herbal tincture. Okay, so this is why yeah, I really just respect that you kind of dove right in. You got some information online when you first found it, and then you're just like, I'm going to just be a kitchen witch and figure this out and share what I'm learning with other people. So, and yeah, I didn't know like you could take it in topically, smoking it. I want to talk about that a little bit, but let's just talk about sort of the decoction and the tea preparation. So this is why you really advocate. You use many mushroom caps at once to make your tea because yeah, some of them might be really strong and then some of them are going to be weaker and you're sort of what evening out that dose. And what I do to, and I like, I'll put about 20 caps out there with my scale and I'll break pieces off of each of them. And then, you know, the little buttons and throw them on the scale till I get to about 15 grams. That way I'm pulling from a lot of different ones to normalize it. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is just from my science background and just, you know, and math stuff, like the more that you want to dilute something and normalize your ups and your downs, even in, in sound recording, when you've got highs and lows and you want to normalize it, you reduce the highs and you reduce the lows, you bring them to the middle. And to me, that just felt like the best way to reduce the actives, the really strong ones and the really weak ones and normalize it. And the more you do that, the more you can get in front of you and pull from the more normalized every single batch you make is going to be. I think. Yeah. And I'm going to say this in the intro too, but you do have videos at amanitadreamer.net about all of this. So like, we're we're not going to be giving step-by-step instructions here, but it's all there. Okay. So I have 15 dried grams that I ordered online because I I went on Etsy to, I was like, I'm going to get like an Amanita t-shirt for my husband for Christmas. And I was like, wait, people are like selling the mushrooms. People are selling oils. They're selling tinctures. And that's when I realized that it's totally legal. This hasn't been scheduled the way psilocybin and other entheogenic substances have. And yet 
you have been like totally shut down on YouTube, on Etsy. Tell, tell us what YouTube said about Amanita. When I made the channel, I knew I would catch hell from the community that maybe gate keeps it and is real culty. I learned about that side of the community and I figured they'd come after me and, and they may have had a role in getting all my content taken down. I don't know. But when I got my first strike, it was for foraging, just picking them and foraging and talking about them. My second strike was for uh, how to identify and avoid the deadly ones. And I had to sort of back off, you know, and just sort of upload fluff until all of that went off my record. Mm -hmm. And then I uploaded my how to make a slurry video to help spread the spores. And they took that one down for teaching how to make deadly and dangerous substances. And then they went on a spree where they just I woke up one morning. It was at seven in the morning. I checked my mail and I had one strike. And I was like, well, crap, here we go again. Five minutes later, I had a second strike. So I had to run to my channel and immediately delist like as fast as I, it's like I was outrunning the algorithm before I got a third strike and my channel would get taken down. Like I felt I was in this race against the AI. So I got every single bit of my mushroom content delisted so I could breathe. And then I found out because my phone started blowing up with the other mushroom content makers and we're like, what the fuck is going on? And some of them had already been taken down and they were all like delisting as fast as they could. One guy re-uploaded, well, he uploaded a video just about mushroom sentience, psilocybin sentience. And that was the death strike. And they took his channel down for talking about sentience. So I was like, well, they thought that I was a psilocybin channel. So I appealed it and I waged a Twitter campaign and they came back with no it's a deadly, dangerous substance. And I mean, I gave them the scientific links to prove that it wasn't a deadly, dangerous substance, that it wasn't illegal, that it wasn't psilocybin. And they they just said, no, it's not allowed on the platform anymore. I've since learned that it was the beginning of an all-out war on natural medicine, mm-hmm. but they included this one because they were starting to go after all natural medicines. And in my ignorance and naivete at the time, I thought that they were just confused Mm -hmm. that they thought it was psilocybin because it's so iconic. People use it to represent psilocybin. Mm -hmm. And I thought maybe they were just mistaken, but I learned though they knew what they were doing. So I had to build my own website and pay to support the bandwidth for all the videos and put them there because this is too important for people to not know about and not have the actual correct information about. I made products. I put them on Etsy. I bought my initial ones off of eBay that I, that I wasn't sourcing here on my own property. I was buying from eBay. Shortly after that, eBay restricted all sales of Amanita. And last year, not long after the takedown of my content, Etsy wiped off all of their Amanitas off their platform. And then they started going, Instagram started going after accounts, the mushroom accounts. And then Facebook started taking down the Amanita groups. Mm. So I realized it was something else was going on and that it wasn't necessarily that I was being reported, although I my stalkers do go after me. Every time I do anything different or new, they they come after me. But this was something it's something way bigger than just this mushroom. It's it's the entire natural health community, which I just uploaded a video about on my YouTube channel right before mm. 
you and I sat down together to talk because it's it's worse than this. And this isn't the platform for that. But now uh, my Etsy store got taken down. So now I bought my domain name for my store and I'm in the process of building my own store. Yeah. Good. Yeah. That's the only thing to do. Well, I I bought these, I don't know, a few weeks ago, but you know, they really had them tagged as like craft items and like (laughs) use. It'll be, it's a matter of time. They'll get taken down. They have to keep going away and popping up again. Yeah. They're playing (laughs) (laughs) whack-a-mole. So I'm going to basically do a decoction of them as per your videos, adding lemon at some point, because that helps with the conversion. From yeah, you don't want to do it in um, the batch that you make, because you'll wind up with a batch that's like 250 mils a cup mm-hmm. and you'll normalize it back up to a cup. You know, that's all in the directions. And then what I do is I divide it up into four, one fourth cup and put them in containers and freeze them and then leave one out. Mm-hmm. That way it doesn't go bad because that's a lot to make. Okay. And then I use the lemon as I'm using it. I don't use lemon when I microdose because okay. I want that balance. Uh-huh there. The lemon will convert too much of the ibotenic acid into muscle. Yeah. I mean, if it's late at night and I, cause it'll give you a boost that ibotenic acid will give you a boost, but it's a nice boost because at the end of the day, when you're tired, but you still got stuff to do before you can go to bed, it's really nice to take it. I take it like around seven or eight o'clock and I was running out of steam or whatever. And then it'll give me that energy again and the focus to be able to finish up the dishes and make notes for what I need to do tomorrow and finish up things, last minute things or whatever. And then right about the time I get all that finished, the, the sleep comes over me. That conversion has happened into the muscamol in my body and I feel really tired and sleepy and whatever. So I like that, that boost. But if I forget and it's 10 o'clock at night and I'm starting to have invasive thoughts and I know it's going to be a long night, but it's late, then I'll actually take some tea, like some sleepy tea, chamomile, whatever, put it on the stove, put the Amanita tea in there, my dose, my microdose simmer it another 10 minutes, put lemon juice in there. And that way I'm pushing a little bit more decarb so that it doesn't keep me up for another two hours or whatever. Then I find that it's maybe 45 minutes of energy Mm -hmm. before I am able to sort of go to sleep. So you can use it. I mean, you can, you can work with it. It's such an amazing medicine that you can work with like this. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I appreciate how you, you will like video yourself dosing and taking it and just report what's happening. Um, so I want to talk about Soma specifically. Oh, I love that. I, so I had a big psilocybin experience when I was 16 and this is like the late nineties, early internet. We were the first people we knew who had a computer and I found the vaults of Arrowhead and found all these like trip reports and just got super interested in psychedelics and how did this happen to me? And like, wait, other people have had this experience and soon came across Soma and the idea of Soma. And so, you know, for the last 20 plus years have been, what, what was Soma? And can I experience Soma sometime in my life? So maybe you could tell people like the, the history of Soma and then where you've landed with what you think Soma is, which totally makes sense to me. And we have access to raw milk here and I am definitely going to make it. So my left brained autistic self, I have a very hard time with stories and the right brain creativity thing. I'm so very dogmatic, analytical, literal, that when I heard about the Soma and this mushroom and I tried to read about it 
uh, it was just so hard to get through. I was like, who cares? Just take the mushroom. You know, you got to write songs about it and whatever. <laughs> <laughs> I really thought they were really bored. They didn't have the internet. So why not <laughs> like write all these sonnets and stuff about it? I get it. Whatever. I love the mushroom. I'm making videos. That was their medium. But I don't understand all the people fighting about it, about what it is or isn't. Who gives a shit? Use your drug, you know, who cares? Soma was mentioned in the Rig Veda as, Mm -hmm. and and people basically have been interested for a while now on what was Soma. They can't figure out what was this incredible drink that this culture loved and gave them these incredible experiences. And there's been, you know, lots of back and forth and a lot of like deep scholarly work of people trying to figure out what was Soma. Well, this was my like initial reaction to it. But I have an immense amount of respect for Kevin Feeney, who's the author of the Fly Garrett Compendium, which is the Bible for the Amanita Muscaria Mushroom. And when he came out with the book and I was like, oh, my God, and I got a hold of it and they revisited the idea of Soma. And I was like, well, you know, this is what my channel is about. I am going to have to talk about it at some point. But everything I read made really good points for it being whatever they were trying to say that it was. You know, kudos to everyone who researched it because they made amazing points. They backed up their position so well. So anything you want to get out there and search and read about, it makes perfect sense. Mm -hmm. So I'm not going to say anybody was wrong because nobody's right. Because whoever wrote the Rig Veda isn't here today to talk about it. And all we can do is make a case. And so far, every case I've ever read just makes total sense. (laughs) I I get it. You're right. You're right. And you're right. Like, I get it. But what got my attention was Trent Austin. Dr. Trent Austin made his original patent that he was going to do conversions with Amanita Muscaria and put a, a, a product out there. And for whatever reason, he didn't follow through with the patent, but he left behind some science that was really shocking. And that was that he was able to show a full conversion of ibotenic acid to muscimol using lactobacillus bacteria, that they did a, a full conversion in, in that fermentation process in a, in the lab. Meaning no ibotenic acid is left. You're this pure muscimol. Right. Well, I mean, give or take one or 2%. Mm-hmm. So that was fascinating. And so that was back in 2011. And since then, I don't know, no one's been talking about it. Like, this is phenomenal to me. Why are we not talking about it? And still everyone's talking about all these different ways to boil it or whatever. I'm like, what, why are we not talking about this? This is kind of a a big deal, right? So when Kevin Feeney's book came out, they discuss it a lot. And they were talking about the conversion with lactobacillus bacteria But what is the most common lay thing, not like pure bacteria in some lab? What would people have in in their possession that has this in it that would account for that kind of conversion? And the most obvious thing is milk, but not pasteurized, but raw milk right out of the animal. It's full of lactobacillus bacteria. And they were sort of tossing that idea around in the book. And then... I think there was one recipe offered up in the book for some potential way to use it or whatever. And I disagreed with the recipe or whatever. And Kevin, I talked about it and I haven't gone public with that. I think I did. I mean, I might have mentioned You it. did. You talked about have. it in your video. I think I'm I did. glad you did because I had read the book the night before and I was like, 
why would you boil the raw milk if you're right? Going and then the you're going to kill the bacteria. Sewer. And and I mentioned it. He's like, oh well, you got to make a mistake somewhere in a book. Now we know what the mistake is. But it, I mean, they were just throwing that out there and throwing it in as just sort of like an extra. They didn't intend to go that far with it. Right. I think that he was just like trying to be thorough and saying, if you wanted to make it, here's some general idea of how you could use whatever. So I took that and I'm like, no, there's something going on here. And I just want to run a bunch of experiments. I wasn't going to make a video on it. I was just sitting in my kitchen one day and I went and got some raw milk and was like, well, I'll just, I'll do a bunch of different things. And I heated it. I had cold milk. I had room temperature milk. I had raw Amanita, no, not raw, but I mean, dried, which is still raw. They're not cooked. They're just dried. I had dried Amanita. I had my Persicinas here. I made the tea. So I had all these different combinations and I threw them all together in different ways. And some I put in the oven on low, some I put in a dehydrator to let them sit in the milk. Some I left out at room temperature and mostly it just smelled like it smelled so bad the next day. Most of it failed, but one of them made yogurt. And that's when it all hit me about yogurt and the Rig Veda and India, and most indigenous cultures and their yogurt, and their hooved animals, whatever those are, their goats or their cows, and the lineage of those animals, and the lineage of your bacteria on the female side of your yogurt, and how sacred it is, like, all of it started coming together. And it made sense. And I'm like, okay, this, I think this is yogurt. I think, I think Soma yogurt. And I started thinking about how cannabis needs to be decarbed. I don't know how that works. If it is also possible that there's something in milk that could do that, but also psilocybin converts. What is Soma is any of these things Mm -hmm. that can be bettered by milk Mm -hmm. and all of the different filters that it talks about in the Rig Veda, Mm -hmm. but more specifically, Amanita has to go through these filters and the body is the final filter that very last bit of knowledge but also they talk about lamb's wool you know being a filter so whatever it all made sense what what history says about it what kevin feeney and dr austin talk about in the book made sense and then what i know of my friends that are in these cultures have told me about their animals and their yogurts Mm -hmm. and then my own experimentation but the piece de resistance was when I actually used it <laughs> and I knew it was something worth writing about. And then I understood the Rig Veda. Mm-hmm. I, I love how good it tastes in the video. You're right. Like, oh my God. Oh, this tastes so good. It was hard not to just drink and drink and drink and drink yeah. and drink and chug it. And I still think about it every single day. Uh-huh. I don't make it because I would stay perpetually drugged. Because it tastes so amazing. So I'm real careful to just to only make it on special occasions. I spent a few days visiting my friend's farm and then I did harvest just one. And I noticed when I was getting in the car that this tiny little piece, like the size and thickness of half of my pinky nail or something was on my hand. And I was like, I'm just going to eat this. It's like such a tiny, tiny little piece. I'm just going to like meet the... Amanita entity in this way. And it was Swedish. I mean, it was a tiny little piece, but there was a sweetness to it that I was not expecting. And so when I was watching your video, I was like, oh, I could see how with the right preparation, this could really taste good. 
the biggest thing about it, it's hard to find the correct terminology, except that it was multi-layered. You know, if you eat gourmet food or food really well prepared by someone that knows how to use the chemistry of cooking and food and you eat it and there's so many layers of flavor that you're like, holy shit. Mm -hmm. Okay, take that and multiply it three-dimensionally because not only was it layered, but it was also living Mm. layered. It was layered in a way that other living foods I've eaten weren't. Like people know what a living food is. There's a difference between a cracker and a living food. There's a difference between a McDonald's hamburger and a living food. You know the difference. If you know, you know. Even this was just phenomenal in its three-dimensional layering of aliveness. Wow. That not just on the palate, but in the body. Like I felt like I was taking on a living, breathing, sentient entity that not only was layered in my mouth, but multidimensional in my body. There are no words. And that just sucked. That was not an explanation. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's amazing to think that it's this combination of an, an animal's milk, a fungus, bacteria, and, you know, more than the lactobacillus, of course, this raw milk is going to have all sorts of bacterial families. But think about that. There's us, right? The learning person. Then there's the other animal kingdom involvement in their milk. Mm -hmm. And then there's the bacterial kingdom. And then there's the fungal kingdom. That is life on earth. Yeah. Right there. Yeah. So yeah, I'm going to make that. (laughs) I I think I'm just going to go straight to the Soma actually. Like I don't, I mean, and I have to microdose, like I have a five-year-old, you know, I don't, there's going to be no. Well, it's one of those things that you make sure you've got care for the children and that you can sort of check out for a night if you're going to do Soma. Definitely. Yeah. 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 In that Soma video. And when I've heard you talk about smoking it, you talk about like basically sitting with the ancestors. And I, I guess I want to hear more about that. I want to hear more about who these Amanita beans are to you. You've talked about it a little bit. Like what, I know it's ineffable, right? This is one of the like trademarks of real, of big mystical and psychedelic and theogenic experiences is that they're so hard to put into words. But I'm just really intrigued by hearing you say that when you like really smoke a lot of Amanita and you do your drum ceremonies that you are just like sitting with the ancestors. It's interesting because when I first smoked it, I thought it was going to be stupid. And I did it on camera the first time. And, you know, anyone can watch it and see that transformation and what happened to me. But it turned out that was just the very beginning of my introductions to the true majesty, power and voice that is this mushroom. It's very holy to me. So my daily use of it is just microdosing. But what I say for the special occasions that I truly understand now what Christmas is really about is that solstice celebration and that it's not just the coming together of us, but it's the coming together of us with our ancestors and the fungal ancestors. And that it is something you really do miss and you really do look forward to. And it's so exhausting and draining. I can't just smoke it all the time. So I save it for special occasions. And the next one is coming up, the winter solstice. And I do my retreats and we have drum ceremonies because that's just what the mushrooms said to do. They, they talk to me about our past 
and how we used to celebrate. And drums are our oldest instrument. They were the first instruments we ever made. They mimic our heartbeats and what we heard in the womb. And they are paramount to healing. And they are so, drums are so powerful that you don't need a drug or an entheogen. You can heal just from drums. And I didn't know this until I got into this whole world and was missing that ceremony and just put some drums on, like Danheim, the band Danheim, and started trancing 15 minutes into listening to them. And I was in a trance state and I realized that's what our, how do you separate evolutionarily our ancestors from this medicine from the drums like they're intertwined and so any of them can help you enter that space but it's a richer state when the other beings are there together when other humans come together and then when you put the drums in that mix and then you smoke and you invite the ancestors of the fungal elders they all know, they all hear the call and everyone comes and it's a joyous celebration. And this is what the mushrooms were talking about when they said, come home. This is what they meant, not only in your own life, using the mushroom as a medicine, but then when you come together for your celebrations, they look forward to it too. Like when they send the fruit up and, and we pick the mushrooms, like they can't wait for us to bring that along on our celebrations because they come too. And it's so species centric to think we're the only sentient things on this planet. And we don't even know yet. Well, a lot of us know about the sentience of fungi, but they have hopes and dreams. They have memories. They have a past. They have friends and allies. They have goals. They have celebrations. And they remember fondly the celebrations with the humans. We were best friends and they miss us and we don't know it, but we miss them. Mm -hmm. It's a lot of our pain and our brokenness and our suffering that we are not celebrating with them. And there was this feeling of coming home the first time I smoked it and they drove me to drum and to get other people together involved in it. They pushed me. And once I did it, I got it. It was an experience I'll never forget. And I now know that's our medicine. That's our deepest, truest, most powerful medicine is to bring this mushroom along, smoke it with others, get those drums going, trance and meet our elders, our elders and the fungal elders. Mm -hmm. They have so much wisdom to impart. It's it's a one-on-one -on -one thing with them as you're drumming and you're in your trance state and you feel yourself healing and moving and moving that energy up and out and cleansing and others that are facilitating that with the drums and those who are dancing and in motion and helping move all of that stuck stale energy. But then those ancestors are asking and talking and healing. And once you've moved it, then it's time to listen and learn. And you can learn to time travel because you can go backward in time, meet the elders, learn their wisdom. Any issue you're having in your life right now, they've been there. They have the answers. Not only are they going to give it to you in your brain just from taking it, but they can give it to you as thoughts, conscious thought packets and soul, like really big pieces of understanding in one chunk that you don't know what the pieces and the chapters and the and each little paragraph was 
but you read the book. And when you wake up the next day, you're like, oh my God, I see it now. I get it now. But try to tell someone how you understood it and you won't be able to. It's just this chunk of learning because it's millions of voices of millions of ancestors who give it to you as one big concept of understanding. And then you walk away from that permanently and forever changed and you don't live your life the same way again after that. Imagine doing that twice a year, four times a year, how clean and how healthy we would be. It seems like the way it's supposed to be. You're certainly not the first person I've heard say that, that, that the mushrooms are calling you in. They're calling you in. They're calling us in. I believe that. I feel that. I mean, <laughs> and this one, Amanita, like, how could you not just be filled with joy to come across this mushroom? It's so. <sighs> Everybody that comments like on my foraging videos when I'm screaming and losing my yeah, shit. Yeah. <laughs> some people comment like, this bitch gone. <laughs> or, what wrong? You need help, lady. And it's so funny. Oh and that's fine. God. Say what you want until it happens to you. Right. And then you'll know. Then yeah. you'll get it. Like, it's yeah. just different. It's that you can hear them. And I talk to other people that are very science-based that are afraid to say it, but they say it. They have personalities. Mm-hmm. I hear them talking to me. I'm like, I know, right? Yeah. I know. They have consciousness. Yeah. I loved your recent posts on Instagram. So speaking of solstice, Christmas, the ancestors, where you took photos of ornaments that your grandmother made with the Amanitas and they're just darling. I love them. I love like these pieces of vintage Christmas and that it came from your grandma. So special. And what a sweet way to honor her to share them like that. She made all these ornaments and stuff. We always loved Christmas. And when she died, I inherited a lot of her things. And these were going to be put in ornaments. They're like little dioramas that tell stories. Mm -hmm. And these little guys are going to be in her stories, in her ornaments. And they were just sitting there in a drawer and they never made it into a story. It's been like almost a decade, but I held on to them. And before I went to Canada to go forage and hope to find some, I snatched those up, you know, and put them in my pocket and took them with me. And sure enough, when they were fruiting everywhere, hundreds of them, and I wanted to take pictures, I was like, this is going to be her diorama in real life. Mm. Like, they're going to tell this story. They're going to go in under this little mushroom. Anyway, I I, I put that up on, on Instagram to show other people. I don't talk much. I don't share much about the really sacred stuff. You got to have boundaries. Mm. Otherwise, you know, I don't know. Maybe it's my autism. I, I can lose myself. So I have to build these walls around myself. This is who I am. And this is where I, I live. <laughs> and then on the other side of that is what I can share with you. So I don't share that stuff very much. I talk in generalities about this really powerful inner stuff. But something was like, you just, you got to start telling more of the story of the ancestors and the power of generations. And the power of of moving this stuff forward and honoring our elders. This is such an important story. So I wrote a book, a children's book about our elders. I'm looking for an illustrator. That's coming out. And I'm writing a microdosing book also. So I got a lot on my plate. But they, they, they push me 
they are taskmasters. <laughs> like, we've got so much to tell, you know, like do this, do that. I'm like, okay, but I got to sleep too. <laughs> well, they obviously found the right woman in you. I'm really impressed with your output um, and your organization. And it's, it's just so helpful. You know, I imagine people who were where you are, maybe with benzos or other mental health challenges who come across your website or your channel and find hope and realize that there is a living, ancient intelligence growing from the earth that can provide help and healing and guidance. It's interesting, you know, anybody that's in this space, in the natural health space, a lot of it is not it's not that powerful or they make a problem and then tell you this is your solution to a problem that actually doesn't exist. So there's a lot of scan stuff going on and gaslighting and stuff like that. And it's interesting to me how all I try to do is say, okay, look, here it is. And it's free. Just the information is here. I don't want your money unless it's just something you want to give me, like just support me on Patreon or whatever. The items I sell, I don't even sell the mushroom. I just sell stuff made with it. And I teach you how to make it because I don't want to make money off anybody's suffering. I want to make money off someone who says, I could make it, but I'd rather support you. You know, whatever. That's that's how I want to be able to, to support myself. And so I I don't have any need to be right. I don't have any need to prove that you have a problem and you need my solution. This is not my solution. I'm the reporter reporting back to you what the research is saying. That's all. And it's interesting to me, the level of support of people coming out and going, oh, my God, you weren't kidding about anything that I'm saying. Oh, my God, you weren't kidding about smoking. Oh, my God, you weren't kidding about when you see them in real life. Oh, my God, you weren't kidding about it helping with the anxiety. Oh, my God, you weren't kidding about hot dosing. Like everything that I found, it's now getting echoed by thousands of people out there. There's very little negativity coming back. Mm. And the bulk of it is the younger crowd that's the recreational cruising crowd that didn't pay attention and took too much, got sick, thinks it's a trash mushroom, whatever. And then the people that don't get anything from it that think I'm now a charlatan Mm. and that I'm selling snake oil or whatever, which actually snake oil might be a thing. I don't know. But they they think that I'm trying to scam people. And it turns out the few that I could get to talk to me, what emerged was they were cannabis users. And now that I've had time to talk to many cannabis users, every time someone tells me they didn't get something from it, and I ask, they're a cannabis user. Uh, Like heavy use? Well, some people just a couple of times a week. Mm. So there's something going on there in the endocannabinoid system. That this mushroom is doing that's and people that go off of it, they say they need about four weeks before they start to notice they can. But even the people that use cannabis that say they don't get anything, like I made a whole video on what get anything means. Mm-hmm. They mean tripping, usually feel something. And then tripping, that's another whole thing. I got a whole video on tripping that we have been very typically species centric about what tripping is. Mm-hmm. And I disagree with what we define as a psychedelic and how we define tripping. Mm-hmm. that we are being very myopic about it and only focusing on hearing and seeing. And I believe there's many more senses involved in tripping than we're labeling. And I go into all that, but I believe that 
the people that are upset that they're not, quote, getting anything from Amanita are missing the exact trip that is actually happening mm-hmm. in many of the other senses, but they didn't get it because they were too busy throwing up and being sick because they didn't listen and decarb it correctly. Mm-hmm. So even that community, I believe, is wrong when they say they didn't get anything from it, Mm -hmm. because the few in that community who did bother to write back and talk to me about it said, well, actually, I did wake up feeling amazing. Mm -hmm. I really do feel different. Uh My panic and anxiety is different. I had amazing dreams. I'm seeing the world in these different ways now that, you know, even cannabis hasn't given me. And I'm like, then how do you say you didn't get anything from it? Because they didn't have like the visuals they were expecting or something during the experience. Why would one use this in oil form topically? There's a long history of ancient use topical. And a lot of the modern ancient use involves vodka and making a tincture with it. But we haven't always had distilled spirits. That's a relatively new invention by humans. Historically, the way it was made in the few recipes that I've been able to find and and talk to some indigenous people about is duck fat in particular. I don't know why duck fat, but it turns out it there are certain fats that it will extract in better than others. Mm-hmm. So I use extra virgin olive oil. I got that recipe from someone in a group that's Russian that grew up with a grandmother that always made it. And so I made it according to his recipe and it really works. It works really well transdermally for pain and I'm assuming, guessing, totally hypothesizing that it's still working its way through the skin into those synapses Mm -hmm. between the neurons where it's active in slowing down, reducing or altering the pain signal, which doesn't make sense because if it's ibotenic acid dominant, then it's going to increase the spasming and increase that calcium potassium pump which should sort of propel pain signals upward, but it's not. Mm. So I don't know what's extracting Mm. in the oil. There's an entourage effect happening right? because it is getting through the skin and it is reducing pain, but also inflammation. So, I mean, I've had different injuries. You don't live as long as I did and act crazy in the world and not have injuries. And I have go hiking or do something. I'll get a swollen knee or my lower back will hurt. And you can visibly see the inflammation. I put it on there within 20 to 30 minutes. The inflammation is gone and the pain is gone. And usually you don't get that kind of anti-inflammatory response unless you're taking a pretty harsh drug or a steroidal anti-inflammatory prescribed by a doctor. It's really phenomenal, the results of of transdermal use. And there's a recent study that came out that shows that it it is an anti-inflammatory and that it does reduce mast cell participation in the ACE receptors, ACE2 receptors. It's an interesting study. I have an interview with one of the guys that uh, headed up that study on my, it's, I think it's on the YouTube channel. As long as it can stand, I don't know, maybe they'll take it down, but it will always be on my, um, on my website. There's a lot of science coming on this mushroom. Good. Is there like one particular person or organization working on it or is it more diffuse, the science? Well, this is what a lot of people get up in arms about corporation involvement and and rightly so. However, historically, we know research is expensive and it doesn't happen altruistically unless there's some billionaire out there that's got the money to pour into it and then they'll fund research. But nobody gives a shit about this mushroom. Who's going to who's got the money? 
to do the research on this mushroom that cares about this mushroom. Right now, nobody. So the only way that research happens is if there is enough interest by a professor that works at a research lab who's going to write a grant, and then there's enough interest in the grant by the funding institution to say yes to that grant, and then they have to have one focus that they're going to work on, and then they've got to work on that. So if that's not your avenue for research, then it's up to money to do it. Where's money? Corporations. Mm -hmm. So you have to hope for the best that this corporation is going to do the very best that they can. And the thing that's good about this is you can't grow it. So they can't patent it. Mm -hmm. So all they can do is do the science to try to create products that they can patent. And one thing that this company, Psyched Wellness, they are the ones spending the millions of dollars on this research right now, thankfully. The only thing they really can patent is a conversion process that belongs to them. How are they going to convert the ibotenic acid to muscimol? That's proprietary. They're going to keep that a secret. The item that they wind up making, they can call that anything they want and they can trademark that name. So that's the important thing to delineate. The process can be patented. The final product name can be trademarked. That's it. Mm. You can't patent a mushroom. Mm-hmm. And I don't care that they're not going to tell me how they converted it. I've got my own ways to do it. Mm-hmm. Good for them, because that means that they are now funding the research. And right now, even though it's legal, it's classified as not for human consumption in every country. Mm-hmm. So you can buy, sell and trade and consume, but you have to label it not for human consumption. For your crafts. So what they did is they are they did clinical trials to show that it is not dangerous. Mm-hmm. that it's safe for human consumption. And so now they are concluding those studies and they're going to be lobbying every single country's board mm-hmm. for that status, that it can now be labeled as for human consumption, which is good because now we don't have to just say, hey, this is some incense blend. You can actually say, here's a tincture and you can take it. And here's, you know, use a dropper full at bedtime, but we can't make claims about it yet. So the next thing that they're doing is they're in clinical trials to be able to make a claim. So they'll be going for the initiation of sleep, for stress management, Mm -hmm. but they also went to the inflammation side. So each thing that they can show in the science and then in the clinical trials, they will lobby the governing boards of each country to be able to make those claims about it. But that means so can we. Mm -hmm. So can anybody, cottage industries, makers at home. We can say, take a dropper full at bedtime to help initiate sleep. Right now, we have to sell something and say not for human consumption. Mm-hmm. Um, psych wellness, is that what you? Yeah, P-S-Y-C-H-E-D. Oh, psych. Uh-huh. Wellness, they're a Canadian company. I have an interview with their CEO about all of this. Okay. If anybody's interested and wants to go see that. And then I'm talking to them about actually branding a product with them because it helps them get the word out because I have a large audience and a reach. It helps support my channel, what I'm doing. And I'm hoping in that connection and that liaison and that, that friendship with them that they will help me teach others about good stewardship, slurrying and spreading the spores and stopping deforestation because they can't grow it either. Mm -hmm. And their bottom line is going to depend on their ability to harvest this mushroom and pay the harvesters in their area because it's it's not in their interest either to over harvest it mm-hmm. because then they run out of their own product. They're very well aware of this. So mm-hmm. 
it is, it's thankfully a very self-limiting mushroom as far as owning, growing, patenting, or using too much of. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, it'll be interesting to see how everything evolves. And luckily it's not being over regulated the way psilocybin is, or like you said, can't be, it's self-limiting. Yeah, with cannabis, you can grow it. So the corporations took over and there's so many yeah. laws now against growing and everything. And it's not actually legal, even in the places that it's legal, it's not really that legal. So the good thing about this is it's it just grows and, and you can't grow it. It's out there. Anyone can go harvest it. And And for those critics that are listening to this that are going, well, you're really naive. No, I'm very well aware. And I don't talk about my actual feelings about corporations. And I'm not going to get into that. That's my personal stuff. And I'm not naive. And I will keep them to task. Mm -hmm. And I have plans for things I'm going to ask of this company. And if at any point I disagree ethically with what they're doing, I will end my liaison with them and I won't continue to discuss them. And I'll take down my interviews with them and that'll be the end of that. So but I'm positive. I believe that we, while we are in difficult times, I don't believe this is just some dystopian sort of cresting of a lot of pushing and energy and the asking of a lot of pain of people. I believe that we are at a shift. You know, manifesting works, asking works, energy works. Good is not always weak. Good is not always the loser here. And it's simplistic to say good and bad because everybody believes they're doing the right thing. Even a CEO believes he's doing the right thing by helping his bottom line and, and growing the company. And they really believe they're doing good in the world. There are very few people that know that they're shitty people and they're doing it anyway. So good and bad is gray. But I honestly believe enough people have incarnated on the planet to actually shift things because prior to now, there were, you know, hundreds of thousands of people on the planet. Then there were millions of people on the planet. We are in the ridiculous billions of people. And I'm going to say, regardless of how you feel about your narcissist in your life, I'm going to say 90% of these billions of people are good people wanting good things. You cannot deny that the first ever in the history of this planet, billions of souls have incarnated, living here, pushing good hopes, dreams, and wishes that that can't be successful. And I have every reason to believe we are witnessing the beginning of a shift on this planet of an amazing mercy goodness that is going to blow everyone away. I am not dystopian in how I see this at all. And here they are, the fungal beings rising up into the collective consciousness in a, a very strong way right now. So thank you so much for your work, Amanita Dreamer. I also, I feel like I just have to say that anyone who goes to your website, Amanita Dreamer or Dreaming? Dreamer. Dreamer.net. But then you're Amanita Dreaming on Instagram. The video of the Amanita releasing its spores. Oh my night. God. That's church. That was one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen. How it did you come, come across that at night? I forage at night when they're fruiting. Cause they only fruit for about a week here uh -huh. and they always, you know, it's rainy. That's what makes them come up. 
And so I'm frequently foraging at night in the rain. That's a pretty Mm -hmm. common thing. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to be able to see them lit up, you know, to take a video. And the minute I got down there and saw those spores, I just froze. It was so holy. And all I could do was just sit there and record and try not to breathe too loudly. And I'm crying and just bawling, crying, trying not to shake the camera and just breathe, just breathe, just breathe. And yeah, I cry every time I watch the video. It was so holy. And I have it sitting here. I dried it and I put it in resin. It's sitting right here. It looks over me. It's with me all the time. Like I saw what it did. Yeah. I have tears in my eyes right now remembering it. It's powerful. It felt like church. Absolutely. You saw the fairies. Thank you. And you have the Patreon and people can find everything at the website. Yeah, with Patreon, I a lot of people don't do this, but the reason I do what I do is that we need community. And a lot of us lost our community and trying to get mentally healthy. We've had to, you know, get rid of people and places and stuff. So I'm trying to help us find our community. So with Patreon, I do Zoom meetings. Mm-hmm. And sometimes when I have to go, I'll leave the room open and they they make friends. There's connections made. It's really beautiful. It supports me and helps what I'm doing, but with a purpose that supports the people that are also being the patrons or whatever. So uh, yeah, yeah if you great. feel like you've got some extra income that you want to put into what I'm doing, I think that would serve people the best. But then there's also the buy me a coffee thing. If you just want to be like, hey, cool. Thanks. I needed, I got what I needed. I'm out, whatever, you know. Okay. Thank you. Happy solstice. It's exciting. Thank you for having me. This was a really great conversation. (laughs) And I'm so, I could keep going, but. (laughs) Me too. (laughs) Thank you for taking these medicine stories in. I hope they inspire you to keep walking the mythic path of your own unfolding self. I love sharing information and will always put any relevant links in the show notes. You can find past episodes, my blog, and our handmade herbal medicines at mythicmedicine.love. We've got reishi, lion's mane, elderberry, mugwort, yarrow, redwood, body oils, an amazing sleep medicine, heart medicine, earth essences, so much more. More than I can list there. Mythicmedicine.love. While you're there, check out my quiz, Which Healing Herb is Your Spirit Medicine? It's fun and lighthearted, but the results are really in-depth and designed to bring you into closer alignment with both the medicine that you're in need of and the medicine that you already carry and can bring to others. If you love the show, please consider supporting it at patreon.com slash medicinestories. It is so worth your while. There are dozens and dozens of killer rewards there, and I've been told by many folks that it's the best Patreon out there. We've got ebooks, downloadable PDFs, bonus interviews, guided meditations, giveaways, resource guides, links to online learning, and behind the scenes stuff, and just so much more. The best of it is available at the $2 a month level. Thank you. And please subscribe on whichever app you use. Just click that little subscribe button and review on iTunes. It's so helpful. And if you do that, you just may be featured in a listener spotlight in the future. 
The music that opens the show is by Marie Sue. That's M-A-R-I-E-E-S-I-O-U-X from her beautiful song, Wild Eyes. Thank you, Marie. And thanks to you all. I look forward to next time.